time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. We are going to be talking uh, for the next few weeks uh, a series called We Are Family. And so uh, we are family. So I've got a few pictures of some families here. So if you see a, a picture of a family that you know, shout it out. All right, there, there's a family right there, a DSM family. All right, there's another DSM family. All right, come on, let's hear it for them. Yeah, there's a DSM family. Oh, yeah, a little bit. Of, lots of love in that one. All right, there's some, all right, some family. Family love. <laughs> Everybody's at the beach. All right, Christmas time. Woo, all right. <laughs> Christmas family time. All right, and so... Going to put a picture of all of us up there. When we say family, though, all of us have different ideas that come to our head when you say family. When you hear the word family, you all come from different families. Some of you come from church families. You know what a church family is. Church is where it just seems like everything you do feels like church. You know, it's where you sing uh, Christian songs on your way to church in your suburban. And once you get to church, usually your mom and dad wear matching outfits. And... uh, and you, you know, when you, when you get home, you, you got little Bible studies going on and um, you just, maybe when you go camping with your family, you guys play church and you're the preacher and your little sister's the worship leader and that's a church family, that's kind of the church, that's the kind of family that I grew up in. Some of you all come from church families and you know who you are, you know, you know that church family type culture. Some of you guys, you come from just crazy, crazy, crazy chaotic families it's the family where everything's just going nuts all the time. Everybody's involved in everything. It feels like life's just kind of chaos, just, just nuts all the time. Your mom is constantly taking you and your brothers and sisters all over the place from judo to taekwondo to baseball to whatever. Uh, and, so, and so you kind of come from a, maybe a, a chaotic family, a crazy family. Some of you, some of you come uh, from a broken family. And even just to hear us talk about families a little bit hard, maybe you come from a family that's uh, where, where your parents are divorced or where there's been pain or hurt. And just to even hear family, you don't even know what to think necessarily. Family might not even be a good phrase to you. And when we sing, we are family, you don't even know what you feel about that because you come from a situation where family is hard. You could probably create a hundred different stereotypes if we were to talk about families tonight. But I want to focus in on what do I mean when I say that we are family and that we want to be family. What does it look like? Uh, what are we talking about when we say we are family? One of the very core things that I believe that God wants to do as far as us as a group of people is to help us feel like and to become more like a family, truly a family. And so uh, what I don't mean, I'll tell you some things I don't mean. I, I don't mean that we suddenly all take on the same name. You know, families all have the same last name. And so my, my, my last name is Perkins. It doesn't mean that all of us become the Davises or all of us become the Perkinses. Or all of us put your name in there with the Jones or the Smiths or the Franks or whatever. We're not going to all suddenly, you know, we're, we're family because we all are DSMers or something like that. It's not that we have the same name. Um, it's not that we look alike. Uh, it's not that we have, you know, all the same bloodline and we're all, we're all, we all look alike. It might be true of, of uh, a youth group in Arkansas, but it's not true of our youth group here. And so, right, Kylan? All right, Kylan the Phantom. So, uh, it, it might be that, but 
realistically, it's not, it's not the name, it's not, it's not the bloodlines, but there is something that we mean. And when I say that we're family, the idea is, is that we're going to do life together. That we're doing life together. And when you do life together, you have some great days together. You have some big wins and you have losses. You have great holidays where we feel close. You have times where things feel hard. You have successes and you have losses. You have times where there's great things that are happening and times where it's hard. Each one of you go through, in your own journey, you go through great days and you go through hard days. And so what I mean by family is that we are going to do life together. That we're stuck together. That we're, gonna, that we're in this together. And even in the last season, as we've walked through great times, we've walked through some hard times, it's going to only continue, but this needs to be a place. This is a tent. This is a house. This is an environment. This is a group of people that we're going to just continue to walk together and do life together like a family. And so the way that a family is always a family, even if they, uh, even if they go through difficult times or they have different successes, they're always family. We want as a family, to continue to walk through good days and bad days together. And when I say that, when I think about what it means for us, what, what unites us, if it's not a name and it's not, and it's not a name, if it's not bloodlines and it's not a bloodline, then what is the thing that unites us? It's, it's clearly not that we get just together and, and hang out together. I mean, that is something that we do together, but that's not what makes us a family. It's not necessarily that we you know, just do one thing together, maybe that just that we laugh together, or maybe just that we play together, or maybe just that we get together and worship or whatever. There, th- those, those things are good and unique things, but there's really one uniting factor. There's one central piece that causes us to become a family. There's one dynamic, there's one characteristic, and it's a person. His name is Jesus. What unites us is Jesus. The reason why we're a family is that God has invited us into his family. We've said yes to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. We've given our lives to him. We've decided that he is king and supreme and awesome and holy. We've decided that he's worth living for. And so what makes us family is not our emotions. Like, oh, I just feel so close to Stefan. We just feel like bros. And so we're family, man. That's not it. It's not just that we play together, although we want to play together. It's not just that we hang out together. And that's what makes us feel like family. The reality is, is that what is the common bond here that makes us family is that we've recognized who Jesus is and surrendered our lives to him. And that's what really what makes us family. That's what unites us more than anything. And so when we talk family, we need to have the right concept of what we mean by family. And most of us like to go strictly by emotions. I just want to feel something. I want to feel like people like me. We want this to be a place where you do feel loved, where you feel liked. I, 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 I want, I want the, the ethos in the moment to feel good. And that's the American way. The American way from commercials... All over, everybody wants to feel good. And I, and I like that. I like that we want this to be a good place where you, where you feel welcome, where you feel good. But that's not mostly what makes us a family. Nor will it ever be. Allegiance and loyalty to Jesus is what we find in the scriptures as the common bond. It is what unites us. 
And so when you look at Jesus, when Jesus talks to his disciples, we're a, we're a band of disciples. We're a group of disciples. If you're a Christ follower, raise your hand. Let me see. You're, you're a follower. Okay, good. All right, good. So you're a follower of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. Let's just look at, at what Jesus does because Jesus brings people together. And in John 15, we've got Jesus talking to some disciples. They're the disciples that have left everything to follow him. And he's talking to them. And, and we've got some diversity in the room. I mean, just like we have diversity here in this room tonight, in the upper room, as Jesus looks at the disciples, there's diversity around the table. Now, most of the time when we think of the disciples, we think of them mostly as kind of like all the same, right? They're just kind of grouped together as the disciples. You know, they're all, we, when we think of them, we think of kind of like, a, you know, a painting that Michelangelo made, and they all kind of look alike, and all of them are smiley and glowing, except for Judas, he looks like the devil, and but the rest of them are just kind of, you know, sweet and smiley and kind of... But the truth is, is that when Jesus is sitting around the table with these guys, they all are actually quite different. They've got different personalities. They've got different backgrounds. When we read about them, we read, you've got Andrew. Andrew is actually Peter's brother. You never hear about Andrew because Peter's so dogmatic. So Andrew's probably some kind of, you know, he's actually the one that introduced Peter to Jesus when we read it in the Gospels. And so Andrew, who is formerly a disciple of John the Baptist... He's a fisherman, and he follows Jesus. He's Peter's brother. He's got, you know, whatever kind of personality it is that isn't always jumping up front. You've got Bartholomew. Bartholomew's the guy that when, they call him Bartholomew Nathaniel. It's the guy that when Jesus saw him under the tree, Jesus said, he's a man of no guile. Or, you know, you could say he's a man that's sincere. You know, so you might think of someone who's just, uh, when, when, you, when you hang out with them, they're just so sincere. They're almost childlike. You know, they're just awesome, that, that kind of person. Andrew would be kind of like the quiet person. Bartholomew would be kind of like the innocent, sweet guy, kind of like Nico, you know, ah, you know that kind of feel. Just, you're just with them, and it's just like a grown-up kid because they're just so innocent. They all got real personalities. They got real, you know, different backgrounds. John. John is sitting there. John's Jesus' favorite. We all know that. He's the son of Zebedee. He's a fisherman. He's actually a strong leader. He's the kind of guy that, very ambitious. He goes and he writes five books in the New Testament. So he's a guy that's sitting there and he's got ambition. He, he, he grows really to be close friends with Jesus. But he's also got this strong personality, you know, because Jesus calls him later on. Jesus calls him a son of thunder. He's always arguing with his brother about who's going to be the greatest. So he's kind of got that schizophrenic thing going, you know, like he's kind of like dogmatic and strong at one point, and then he's kind of sweet and loves Jesus at another point. It's kind of like Stefan, you know, kind of like that, Stefan, you know, there's some moments where Stefan feels kind of sweet and kind of nice, and other moments he's like, ah, you know, it's kind of like that, you know, he's got, but it's a, it's a different personality. Jesus is sitting there with different people around the table. Then you got Matthew, Matthew's a tax collector. Now, all of the Jews didn't like tax collectors because the Romans had come in and the Romans had then created Jewish people that would collect the money from, from the Jewish people and give it to the Romans. And so they ultimately saw that kind of person, a tax collector, almost like a criminal. I mean, they just, they didn't like him at all. And so Matthew is someone who many of the Jewish people wouldn't like. And so all of these guys might be frustrated with and not necessarily like Matthew on the front end. You're all wondering who I'm going to say. I'm not going to say anybody. My brother. No, just kidding. So... Uh, <laughs> No, just kidding. All right. So, so, so you got different, you got these, you've got these different personalities. Obviously, we all know Peter. He's the most famous one. Peter's the one that one moment is saying, I'll go with you on to death. I would die. I would die for you, Jesus. And then the next moment, he's denying that he even knows Jesus. 
He's the guy that one moment Jesus is looking at him in Matthew 16 and says, hey, on this rock I'll build my church and I tell you that you are Peter. And you know, it feels like Peter's this guy of strength. And then in that, you know, one chapter later, Jesus looking at him and calling him Satan. <laughs> I mean, Peter's a, you know, he's just all over the place, kind of like Tyrell. And so... You know, like, I mean, we went to the Nuggets game last night with Tyrell, and there's, I mean, then, and, you know, I'm with that Tyrell last night, and then tonight I'm watching him lead the prayer, and he's like, God, and you're just like, Peter, I mean, Tyrell and Peter, they got a lot of like, you know, I mean, I'm sure Peter had earrings, but anyway, so, so you got these, these different personalities that are sitting around this table, Simon the Zealot, now a zealot in those days, the zealot was someone who was very frustrated with the Romans. They wanted to reestablish the Jews. And so a zealot, a zealot, like Simon here, Simon the zealot, he would hate Matthew. He'd be so frustrated. He'd think Matthew was a compromiser by becoming a tax collector. You've got Thomas. Thomas is sitting there. Thomas is the guy that we find in John 20 who looks at Jesus. And when Jesus comes back, Jesus is already risen from the dead. So he's died on the cross. He's risen from the dead. He comes back. He's walking through walls. He's eating fish. Remember that story? And Thomas is the guy that goes, unless, you know, unless I place my hands on him, unless I see with my own eyes, I'm not going to believe. Thomas is a skeptic. He's a, he got the reputation as being a doubter. And, and you've got, you know the story, Jesus does appear to him and Thomas is like, my Lord and my God. So you've got all these different personalities sitting around the table. So we're not, but when you look at all of them, they, they unite around Jesus. So they may have different backgrounds and they may be tax collectors or they may be zealots or they may be fishermen. But what unites them is not fishing. What unites them is not necessarily tax collecting. What unites them is a person. And they've left everything to follow this man. And they believe him to be the Lord. They believe him to be true. They believe him to be God. And they're going to follow him. And in so doing, in so doing, in following him, they become probably the tightest band of people that the world has ever known. Because they united on a mission and they changed the known world. And now, because you know the story, I mean, obviously Jesus comes to them and Jesus redeems them and Jesus saves them and for three years they follow him. Then Jesus dies on a cross and Jesus raises from the dead. Then Jesus looks at them and says, and you will go into all of the world and you, you will receive power and the Holy Spirit will come on you. You'll be my witnesses. You're going to go out, book of Acts, and you're going to go to the entire known world. And when you read church history, they go out and they've got... Even though they've got different backgrounds and personalities, they're all on this mission to take the good news of Jesus to the entire world. They've got that in common. And so when those guys get together, you know, it says in Revelation that their names are the 12 foundation stones of the eternal city. You could guarantee that there is good family feel when you're like, look at that, there's my name. When they get to heaven one day and all their names are all the 12 foundation stones of the eternal city and they spent their entire life all on the same mission doing the same thing, trying to proclaim that Jesus is king, is Lord and God. I can guarantee you that is going to feel, that those guys feel like we are brothers. We are family. And so a lot of times we hang out here and we're like, hey, I just, I want to be, a, I want to feel like family. And I want to feel like family, but I want to tell you, I don't want to feel like family because we can pop balloons with our butts or throw ourselves up against a Velcro wall or eat, eat. who can eat the most pizza? Man, I want to throw myself up against a Velcro wall. I want to dunk on Augustine. I mean, I want to do life together, but what unites me is not mostly the feeling of, hey, I ate more cupcakes than so-and-so. 
at campus group. Or the number one thing is we're in this because of who? Because of Jesus. We talk about Jesus. We love Jesus. We pray to Jesus. We've given our life to Jesus. And so when you look at what does it mean, what unites us, what unites us as a family, Jesus is the answer. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he actually tells them, he actually tells them to, to love each other. So John 15, we'll pick up this story. Jesus is sitting in the upper room. And Jesus looks at his boys, his disciples, his friends. And he says to them, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So we, as disciples, and that's kind of established now, we say, okay, we are disciples. What does it mean for us to love each other? What does it really look like? Do, do we love each other? Is that a feeling, mostly? Is that, what, 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 is, what does it mean to love? And I think Jesus is pretty clear when he says, the way that I've loved you. So if you want to know how to love each other, look at my life. Look what I've done. And the way that I have loved you, that's how you're to love one another. The demonstration that I have loved you, that's how I want you to love each other. And there's a lot of things that Jesus does, and I could, you know, this could be a 20-point talk tonight. And so buckle up, we got 20 points, we'll be here till 10.30. All right, here we go. No, I'm just kidding. All right, here's number one. One of the things that we see Jesus doing with his disciples, a way that he loves them, is that he hangs out with them. He hangs out with, he hangs, Jesus hangs out with his disciples. He spends time with them. They walk on the roads together. You know, we have, when we read the Gospels, we have kind of like the big moment after the next big moment after the next big moment. But all the time you see that they're walking, you know, around from Jerusalem to Bethany. And they're, they're, they're walking all the time. They're talking. Jesus spends time feasting with them, hanging out with them, talking to them. In fact, he spends time preparing to teach to them. He teaches them. He goes fishing with them. He goes out in boats with them. He just, he hangs out with them. Oftentimes we have the disciples with Jesus and they're praying together. It's just this. It's time. Spending time together. One of the things that we want to do as a DSM family, we want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. We don't just kind of read a couple books and pick out a few ideas and say, this is a core value and this is a core value. and this is No, no, no. We've, we've, we've aligned it and we said, okay, we are disciples of Jesus. Everything that we're about is we want to be Christ followers. We are in love with Jesus. What did Jesus do? And Jesus hung out. Jesus spent time with his disciples. And so all of us have chosen to come here on Wednesday nights together to spend time together. We worship together. We pray together. We study the scriptures together. We do more than that. We go on trips together, right? We'll head all over the place, summer. On Sunday nights, we gather together in campus groups, and we, we hang out together, we do life together. We're family. Family, love each other. Well, it's not so much that we have the banner of uh, DSM. It's not so much that we have common hobbies. Um, what unites us is Jesus, and one of the ways that we see Jesus connecting with his disciples is time, hanging out. So we want to encourage you to make sure, and, and, and if you can, jump into a campus group, especially as we start this Sunday. It's a new season. It's a new, uh, we've got 
all, the groups are all starting back up again. And that's just a place where we can hang out together, where we can spend time together. So I want to do a little experiment here. And we're going to do, do a little practice. And I want you to uh, spend a few minutes in whatever is the way that you can just, I mean, totally chill with your friends. I mean, I'm going to give you, in the middle of a sermon, the thing that you've always dreamed of. You know how, when I was in youth group, I mean, we got like crushed if we ever, we didn't have texting back then, we passed notes, all right? All right, and that's kind of probably weird now, although I see it sometimes. But anyway, I'm going to give you a moment where this is the moment where in the middle of the sermon, I want you to just spend not a lot of time, not a lot of quantity of time, but a little bit of quality time together. You can talk about whatever you want. You can talk about fishing. You can talk about hunting. You can talk about how the Sooners are going to win it all this year. You can talk about whatever you want to talk about. But for the next three minutes, we're talking hangout time together, quality time. The one thing you cannot be doing is sitting your butt in your seat. Everybody standing, everybody in a conversation. Now, when I say stop, you stop. Ready, set, go. All right. How was your quality time? Not quantity, just quality. All right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, it's on. Right after this. Right after this. Frizzle. All right. All right, good. So one of the things that we see that Jesus does with his disciples is that he spends quality time. And so I believe that families spend quality time together. And that's one of the things here at DSM that we're just so committed to doing. Is, and sometimes, you know, that's hard. Sometimes you feel like, man... You know, there's so many different things. We got Wednesday night, we got Sunday night, and we got so many different events going on. Uh, and that's probably only going to continue to increase. But the reason, let me give you the why behind the what. The why is when we spend time together, when we hang out together, that's where we develop relationship. And so we want to spend lots of, lots of time. Jesus demonstrated that with his disciples. And so we want to do that as disciples in 2011. All right. The second thing. And there could be 15 things, but we'll just continue and just do a few tonight. Second thing that Jesus does that's really incredible, that hopefully the Lord will create a culture in DSM that does this. Jesus is constantly encouraging his disciples. Except for the moment where he called Peter Satan. But other than that, you know, that was a rough moment. It was encouraging certainly when he called him the rock, right? Jesus calls Peter the rock. Jesus encourages fishermen. Aimless fishermen, tax collectors are encouraged by Jesus and what they're called to do. And we find weak people, average people that end up doing unbelievable things for the kingdom because Jesus is an encourager. Jesus is always granting strength. So that's even what the word encourage means. It's the, you are imparting courage. So uh, that can happen verbally. One of the ways that we, one of the cultures that we want around here is not a culture of sarcasm but a culture of encouragement where we're constantly just championing each other and encouraging each other and high-fiving each other and, and, tell, and all of us are on a mission. We're on a mission to follow Jesus, to know him, passion, to walk with him, intercession. We're always, we're on a mission to be men and women of prayer. We go through good days and bad days with that. Sometimes it feels like, hey, I'm, you're leading a prayer meeting on your campus and it's going awesome and you love prayer and some days you're coming to the 5.30 prayer meeting every week and you love it and it's great. And there's other times where it's hard and prayer seems tough. But we're going to always be encouraging each other. And one of the things that the body of Christ does for each other, that the family of God does for each other, is when you encourage, you're actually imparting your courage to them. And so they garner strength because of you. And so when you, when you can look at some, and this goes, uh, 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 this is like opposite of youth culture. 
teenage culture in the United States is usually one of being so, uh, having such a hard time with who I am that I'm usually uh, attacking or saying mean things or being sarcastic. And so one of the ways that we will effectively reach other people with the good news of Jesus Christ is if when they come here, when lost people come in here and we have a culture of encouragement. We have a culture, I was just, uh, a young lady who just moved here from Ohio just a second ago during those three minutes said, I cannot believe the excitement that's in the room for God. It's just so awesome. That's one of the things that we want. We want excitement for God and we want to encourage each other. We want an environment where we authentically encourage each other. So we find Jesus doing this. We find Jesus looking at his disciples. In Acts, he's encouraging them to go reach the world. In John, when he's telling them that he's about to go to the cross and he's going to die, and they think, okay, we're in trouble here. Our, this one that we've left everything to follow is actually going to die like a common criminal. And he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't, don't worry. It's going to be okay. Jesus is constantly an encourager. And so... I want you to picture in your head a few people, preferably one, two, or three, not like ten, because you won't have enough time. I want you to think of a few people that you just like to encourage. It's in the room tonight. Or they don't have to be in the room. If they're, the good thing about technology is that if you have a cell phone, you can text them if you want. And you're about to get the opportunity to do the other thing you've always wanted to do in a sermon, and that's text somebody. Some of you break those rules, and some of you, I'm not sure if you'll make it to heaven because of that, but... I'm going to give you a few minutes, and we're going to practice encouraging each other. All right, now, all right, now, let's, I want to encourage you to, this to be Christian encouragement. This is not the moment, young man, for you to find the girl and be like, what's up, you're so hot. And I don't want that. All right, I want this to be Christian encouragement, all right? Godly encouragement, right encouragement for church, all right? You are in church. Remember that. Never forget that, okay? So we're going to encourage each other. And so encouragement could be uh, phrases. It could be going up and telling them th- uh, ways that you see God inside of them. It could be the, that, uh, some, some characteristics that they live by, their, their character that looks like Christ to you. It could be their, their passion for God. It could, be, it, could be, uh, it could be even something that they do well. You know, like, like I could go up to Augustine and say, dude, you're the best basketball player in the room, but I'd be lying. So I can't do that. <laughs> And so, oh, wait a minute. So, no. Oh, bring it. Bring. All right. So, no, I'm just kidding. But anyway, so, but what I want you to do is I want you to, I want you to take a few minutes here and we're going to go encourage, in, encourage each other. All right. Stand your feet. You got three minutes. Encourage. Be the family of God. Let's encourage each other. Ready? Go. All right. If you love Jesus, say I do. If you're happy to be a disciple of Jesus, say I am. <laughs> all right all right next one is this all right i don't know what your family is like but i believe one of the things that i in my current family i've got four kids and uh one of the things i find myself doing all the time not as much as my wife but all the time is just serving my little kids meaning my kids can do very little on their own and so they need all kinds of help and realistically, a lot of what a family does is it serves each other unconditionally. And so as you go through uh, where one person has strength and then another person has weakness, the person who's strong serves the weaker. And so you see that even as uh, a middle-aged person will have little kids and the little kids are, are weak and can't do much on their own. They can't use the toilet very well. 
They can't sleep through the night very well. And so a parent takes care of them, right? But then as the parent gets older, one day when Renata and I are in our 90s, we won't be able to use the toilet very well. And we won't be able to sleep, you know, very well. And then your kids start to take care of you. And the way that a family operates is a family constantly looks to serve each other. And Jesus did this with his disciples. When we read in John 13, Jesus actually picks up a towel, and you're familiar with the story. And Jesus goes, and what in Jewish culture would have been what the lowest servant in the house would do. Jesus goes, and he does what the lowest of the low servants would do. In that culture... The feet were the grossest part of the body. The feet would walk with, you know, in sandals, through the streets, through the manure, in the dirt, in the dust. And so, uh, so feet would get extremely dirty. And so the lowest servant in the house would be the foot washer. And so Jesus goes and he demonstrates going low and serving. And one of the greatest things that we can do for each other is look for ways to serve each other. Anybody in burn in the house? Any burn? Past or present? All right. I think one of, one of the greatest things that we do here at DSM is burn because these guys, uh, week after week, serve their generation. And so they're constantly looking for opportunities. They stick around late. They get here early. Although they do many discipleship elements, one of the things that they do in their discipleship system and process is that they serve. And that goes against our culture. Youth culture in America is not, hey, how can I give to others? Usually it's how can I be served, not how can I serve. How can I consume more rather than how can I consume less so that I can give more. And so there's lots of ways that we serve each other. Uh, One of the things that we want as a culture, as a family, as a DSM family, we want to constantly be on the lookout and how can we serve each other? How can we serve? One of the ways I think that serving exists is I think that when we pray for each other, it's one of the greatest ways to serve each other. Undoubtedly, there's all kinds of different ways and we can do different physical aspects and things in order to take care of each other and to nurture each other. But one of the things, we believe that every single prayer matters. We believe that when we pray, God works. And so when we pray for each other, when we labor in the spiritual realm for each other, we're actually changing the future, the destiny of that person. So one of the greatest things that you can do for each other is to pray for each other. All right, now... I believe one of the greatest ways to serve is to pray. So we could do lots of different things. I thought about getting out, you know, hundreds of towels and everybody taking their feet off, but then that seemed to be just kind of a disaster waiting to happen. Um, and, so, and so what we're going to do is we're going to take a few minutes and one of the ways that we serve each other, this will be just one physical demonstration of a lifestyle that we desire to live, is I want you to pray for each other. Everybody raise your right hand. Idea Summer. Promise you, O tall one. I will not leave right now. I will pray. I will not go make out with someone in the in the parking lot. I'll be here. You can trust me. Okay, now stand your feet, and I want you to go pray for someone. You got three minutes. This is how you serve them well. Ready? Go. Come on, DSM, come on up here to the front. I want to pray for you. God, we confess tonight to you. It's not good times that makes us a family. It's not just hanging out 
not just eating together. It's not just talking together. God, you're the one that makes us one. You're our common bond. You're what excites us. You're what gives us a future hope. Those that wait upon you, you renew their strength. You're the one that gives us strength. No matter our background, no matter our family background, no matter what our stories are, no matter how smart we are, no matter whether good looking or not good looking, do well in school or poor in school, no matter our ethnic background, no matter what talents we have, God, we don't look to those secondary things as what unites us, what makes us one. Tonight, we look to Jesus and we say, you make us one, God. You brought us into your family. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were broken and messed up and needing a Savior, you, you came. You died for us. You chose to redeem us. God, we finally came to our senses and said, I will follow Jesus. When we did that, we entered into the best family on the planet. We entered into an eternal family. A a family filled with intercession and prayer. A family filled with with encouragement. A family filled with people that love to get together and hang out together and pray together and feast together and love each other. God, we pray, Lord, that we would be not a fake family built around other things, but a real family built around Jesus Christ. We want to weep in your presence. We want to pray in your presence. We want to sing in your presence. We just want to be with you, God. We love you. We honor you. We praise you. We thank you. Everybody said amen.
time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. 